Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm really going to concentrate on one verse today, and uh, we'll touch on a couple others as we go through our service. But I uh, definitely really want to hit Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to kind of go through Romans 8, 28 through, 20, through 30. But really, I want to make 28 the key verse this morning. If you would, follow along as I read those verses, and I'm going to be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Lord Jesus, as we come before You once again this morning, Lord, we thank You for the very fact that we are surrounded by You. In fact, Lord, Your Word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that Your Holy Spirit lives within us if we are Your children. And so, Lord, no matter where we can go, no matter what we can do, You are there with us. And Lord, not only is that ultimate encouragement, Lord, it's ultimate accountability. And Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that You love us enough to be with us every hour of every day. And we're so thankful, Lord, that You choose to work in our hearts to draw us closer to You. So, Lord, we pray that You would do that this morning through the sermon. We ask, God, that You would speak to our hearts, draw us closer to You. And Lord, I pray that uh, your would be accomplished in our hearts and our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there is no doubt each of us experience things that we would not choose. And I don't think there's a single person that gets up in the morning and says, Woohoo, it's a great day to have a flat tire in the middle of a cold winter blizzard. You know, we don't choose those things. Nobody wakes up and says, Well, it's a great day for the water furnace to go out, or the water heater to go out. You know, things happen every day of our lives that we would never ever choose. But in those circumstances, how do you respond? Anger? Frustration? Uh, dismay? Maybe you're more spiritual and you have faith, trust. God's working through the midst of all these things. And every circumstance that comes your way, you just look to God. I hope that's the case. I hope that we are learning to do that in every circumstance. But how we respond not only reveals our character, but it also reveals whether or not we have confidence in the very God that allowed them. It really does reveal whether or not we really have faith and trust in the God who allowed those circumstances to come into existence. As we look at the phrases in this text of Scripture, you're going to see several things about it. Maybe, if I could just kind of draw your attention to it, and then hopefully this phrase, these little sentences will jump off the page to you right away in the text here it says and we know for those who love god and we know the word gnosko it's something concrete it's something we know that will is true for those who love god the question is how do i know if i love god we say well pastor i'm here today i'm in church so that just proves i love god no it doesn't it may prove that you're you know a person of creature, a creature of habit, it may prove that you want to go see your friends. It may prove that you were bored at home and wanted to go do something else at church, but it doesn't prove that you love God. You know, for a lot of us, we go to church every week and we don't even think a thing about it. We just kind of, we, we go into like, you know, coast mode and we just go because that's what we do on Sundays. But it doesn't necessarily prove that we love God. So, well, Pastor, how do I know if I do love God then? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you would take your Bibles and turn back to John chapter 14. And I think this is, from God's own word, a very clear uh, explanation of what love is and how love manifests itself. So in John chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, 
Uh, he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Say, well, what are the commandments? Well, he goes on and explains that too. is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It tells us in Mark. But it also says to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I am not explicitly expressing love to those around me, and if I'm not walking in obedience to God, doing the things that God has asked me to do, it very clearly says you don't love God. You don't love God. Because he says, if you love me, this is the result of it. So then put that in the context of what we're talking about again. It says, for those who love God, this is the result. And if you're not seeing the result where God is using the circumstance for His own glory, then you have to ask yourself the question, maybe it could be me and I don't really love God as I ought. But He doesn't stop there. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 3, He kind of builds on it just a little bit again. 1 John chapter 5, and verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Man, so many people look at, well, God has all these commands, and how am I supposed to ever keep them all? And yet he says his commandments are not burdensome. I don't know about you, but it's not about a list of rules and regulations that I have to follow as a child of God. It's about a relationship that I have with him. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again, I'm sure, in the future, but it's like a relationship that you have with your wife. There are things that you know please her, and there are things that you know that displease her. And if you know what displeases her, don't do it. If you know that these things please her, do it, right? So why do I do that? Because of my love for her. And my love, the very fact of how I treat her, either shows that I do love her or shows that I don't love her. It's no different than my relationship with God. When I love Him, I'll do the things that please Him. When I don't love Him as I ought, I'll not take as important the things that He tells me to do and won't be faithful and obedient to do them. So the reality is, love is the determining factor that that really reveals whether or not we truly love God as we ought. So he says, for this person, he says, to all, and we know for those who love God, so the person who walks in obedience, the person who strives to seek to do what God asks them to do, says all things work together. All things. So what do you suppose all things mean in the Greek language? All things, right? Everything. It includes sickness, suffering, sorrow, infirmities, disappointment, or anything really that I may think to not be good. You remember as we looked last week in the previous couple of verses, in verses 26 and 27, it says, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. So we talked about what it means to have weaknesses, to have things that we would not choose, the things that God allows in our lives, things that get us down, the things that frustrate us. It could be sickness, it could be infirmities, it could be all these things. He says, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes. And we talked about what that word means, and it means that really there's a sense of urgency. And the Holy Spirit is going before the Father, and He's pleading our case. And why is He doing that? So that He knows how to answer them according to His perfect will. So now continue that whole thought into verse 28. And he says we know that they're going to work for good because we know as the Spirit is going before the Father and pleading our case, He is only going to do what is good for us. That's how we can know they are going to work for good. 
It includes things that I would not choose. Things that I don't like. Things like divorce. I mean, how can God work a divorce for His good? I've seen it a hundred times. Does God love divorce? No, He hates divorce. But that doesn't mean that you're an outcast for eternity. What it means is God's going to take that circumstance in your life, that, that man meant for evil, and He's going to use it for His glory in some way, some shape. And I'll explain that later. Things like being abused or being molested. Can God really turn a circumstances like that for good? Yeah, He can. I've seen it a hundred times. Nobody would choose that. Nobody would want that. Nobody appreciates that. But when it's given to God, God can use that for His glory. I'll explain that in a minute. Things like being hurt. Things like death or suicide. Does anybody enjoy those things? No. How can any good come from those things? How can God turn something so devastating like a person dying or someone taking their own lives into a circumstance to see Him glorified through it? Just this week I saw an opportunity of that as I went down and did the funeral in Indiana. I saw someone's death turn someone else's life around. And it's amazing how God can do that. Question. Why does it hurt so bad when somebody you love lets you down and hurts you? Why does that hurt so bad? I think it's because you love them and you trusted them. We don't ever expect the ones that we love, the ones that we trust, to harm us. But if you look back over time, who often is the one that does the hurting in molestation cases? Who is the one that does the one that hurts us in divorce cases and abuse cases? The ones that we trusted. But here's the difference. We don't ever expect the ones that we love, the ones we trust to harm us. The thing I need to consider in my life when things happen is this. Do I love God enough to trust Him in every circumstance in my life? Do I love God enough to trust Him in every circumstance of my life. So why is this important? Because God only does what is best for us to accomplish His will in and through us, period. Let me go back to a divorce. Say, well, how can God be glorified through a divorce? Because divorces hurt. Who wins in a divorce? Let me just tell you, no one. Nobody ever wins in a divorce. Right? Yeah, the lawyer wins. Yeah, whoever said that, that's the truth. He's the one that wins. But the husband or the wife, they don't win because relationships are destroyed. Relationships are broken. And people are devastated by it. Sometimes kids are destroyed and the, and the relationships are just hurt for sometimes years and years and years. So how can God be glorified through a divorce? God didn't cause the divorce. God wasn't rejoicing when the divorce took place. But here's where I've seen God glorified. Years after a divorce situation takes place, I find someone else who's going through a difficult time of divorce and they don't know how they're going to get through it. They're praying as best they can. They're trusting God as best they can. But the circumstances just hurt. The circumstances are devastating. And I look at that person and I say, you know what? This hurts a lot now. But on the other end of it, you're going to see how God got you through it. In fact... If you'll 
if you don't mind, could I take your story and go talk to so-and-so who's been through an almost identical situation? And can I have them talk to you and share some scriptural principles, how they got through it? And it's been so many times through the years I've been able to take somebody who's been through it, they're on the other side of it, they're walking with God, they've been strengthened in God, and all of a sudden they come over and come beside this person who's just starting it, and all of a sudden they're encouraging that person and teaching them how they got through it, pointing them to God, and all of a sudden God has taken that experience that was so hurtful and being glorified by using it and sharing it with this person over here. I'll just tell you, I've never been through a divorce. I can only imagine that it's hurtful, that, that it's deep within. But so-and-so who's been through it and understands it, has experienced it, and has seen God work through it, is now helping this person who's just in the midst of it. God is glorified through it. How about a molestation case? I've seen it a hundred times where this person has just revealed that they've been molested. Something so wicked, something so heinous, something so despicable by someone that they trusted and loved. Then I find out that this person over here has been through the same thing. And in a moment that was hard and hurtful, but it's in the past, and all of a sudden they're able to say, this is how God got me through it and began to share with this person who's in the midst of it. And all of a sudden, God has taken that experiencing, that experience and helping this person with their experience, and he's being glorified through that circumstance. Seen it a dozen times, seen it a hundred times in the last 30 years. Every circumstance that we go through, God is able to take it and be glorified through it. Are you saying, Pastor, he... That, that, that he orchestrated? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God caused it. But here's what I am saying. Is God sovereign, yes or no? Can God do whatever he wants without our permission, yes or no? Does he have to you know, run it by us and make sure we're okay with it before he does it? No, he's sovereign. He doesn't have to get permission. He can do whatever he wants as often as he wants for as long as he wants. He's God. And here's what I know about God. Because He is sovereign, because He is all-powerful, if He didn't want it to happen in our lives, He could have not allowed it in our lives. Someone challenged me and I said, God would never do that. I said, yeah, God is, because He's powerful. You think God doesn't control the weather? You think God just can't just like take His finger and just move that tunnel over just to, out in the middle of a cornfield versus in this neighborhood? He can do that. He's sovereign. He's powerful. Anybody disagree with that? God can do whatever He wants. He's all-powerful. You say, well, if He's not all-powerful, then He doesn't control these things. Yes, He does. If He didn't want it to affect us, it wouldn't affect us. But sometimes He allows things in our lives for a purpose, for a reason. The thing I need to consider in my life when things happen, and they will, do I love God enough to trust Him in every circumstance of my life? Because God only does what is best for us to accomplish His will in and through us. Take, keep your finger there in Romans chapter 8 and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a cool passage. I, I wouldn't want to experience it, I'll just say that. But Look at verse 8. 
in every way afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. (laughs) Anybody want to go through what Paul went through? Don't sign me up. I don't want to do it. Here's what I know. Were any of those things that happened to Paul a mistake? An accident that God didn't know what was going to happen? No. In fact, God's Word very clearly tells us in Acts, He says, <laughs> I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> this dude doesn't got a clue what he's going to go through yet. No. You see, God knows that in what He is going to do in and through him, there would be pushback. There would be kickback. There would be opposition. There would be frustration. He goes, he's going to understand that, hey, this life that I've called you to, just so you know, it's not going to be an easy one. There's going to be some real hard things that you're going to have to experience. But through them all, I'm going to get you through them. I'm going to help you through it. That's why he says over and over in this passage, in every way afflicted, I mean, we get one little thing that doesn't go our way and we're all kinds of upset. I mean, the, the car's not running right and everybody wants an arm or leg to fix it. And we, we, I mean, we lose our, our life over it. He's in every way afflicted. And I have to really believe that really does mean every way. I mean, his friendships, his relationships, the people around him, it was not easy. I mean, go on there. Afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed but not despairing, persecuted, not forsaking, struck down, but not destroyed. Remember we saw last week, five times 40 minus one lash, three times beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. Sign me up. No. God got him through all of it and used it for his own glory. Why? Look at verse verse 10 always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He says, you got a little taste of what I've went through. And that little taste is going to be a reminder of who I am. And he goes on, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death works in us but life in you. God takes every circumstance in our life And He allows the things that He allows for a reason, for a purpose, to work in and through us to accomplish His will. Now He says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, let me just kind of explain what it means for good. He didn't say all things work together for my liking. How many of you experience things that you don't like? Yeah, it's biblical. He didn't say all things work together according to my expectations. Anybody have expectations that haven't been met recently? He did not say God works all things in order to make me feel good. Right? Anybody not feel good about some things that are going on? Right? He didn't say I work all things to fulfill my, to fulfill my interests, hopes, and desires. Whew. Why, God? He has his reasons. And he didn't say, I'll fulfill all things, or I will 
uh, all things work together that I might be happy and whole. God never promised us we'd be happy. We can have joy. I have joy despite difficult circumstances, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm always happy. God never promised us happiness. He promised us joy. And there's a big difference. He said, I will work all things together for my good. One thing I know is that what is good for me is not always the thing I want or even like. Can anybody else relate to that? What is good for me is not always what I want or even like. Often what is good for me is not what I would choose in my flesh. And I think you understand and can agree with that. Gerber baby food. I'm just telling you, those peas are disgusting. They just look nasty. They taste nasty. They smell nasty. But if you pop the lid off the little Gerber peach cobbler, give me a bottle. I like that stuff. That stuff's good. But if you give the baby peach cobbler and then want to feed it peas, what one is he going to like? All over the peas, right? Because that's the way it is in our whole life. We choose what we like, what we want, what makes us feel good, what we appreciate. And that list of things is usually often quite different than what is good for us. I mean, you want to sit down and eat pizza or broccoli? Personally, I kind of like the broccoli anymore. But it's got to have about three tons of butter on it. I just voided it, right? I just avoided the health of it. But it tastes good. Half pound of salt and three pounds of butter, man, that's the perfect. You almost not taste the broccoli. But our flesh wants to always choose the easiest path, the path of least resistance. Once again, Second Corinthians chapter seven. Or I'm sorry, chapter twelve. If you would turn there. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. People speculate what this is all about. For people, Paul had a bad back and he couldn't walk very good. No, I don't think that's it, personally. He may have had a bad back. I think half of us in this room probably at one time had a bad back. May have been a bad back. Well, his eyesight was really poor. I, I've heard that my entire life. That they're talking about Paul's eyesight was poor. He may have had, my, shoot, take my glasses off. I can't read my eyesight. All of us. He tells us what the struggle was and why he gave it to him. Because of the surpassing greatness of my revelations, I got these great dreams that God's given me, and they're just awesome. Wait till you hear them. And he goes, wait a minute. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. From keeping me from getting the big head. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, comma, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You know what the thorn is. He tells us what the thorn is. It was a messenger of Satan that tormented him. You can disagree all you want, but it's right there in black and white. He was given a thorn in the flesh, comma, Satan. 
a messenger of Satan to torment them. Question. How often do these things come into our lives and we say, why did God allow this? I wish He'd just take it away. Why does He allow it to be here? I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It's frustrating. It makes me upset. Why does He allow it? I don't know why God allows some things. Maybe it's to keep you from getting so proud and arrogant. Maybe sometimes God takes you down a notch or two or lets things, certain circumstances in your life to take you down a notch or two so you don't get so arrogant. I, I don't know. God has His reasons for allowing things in our lives. He told us what His reason was. But nonetheless, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. I mean, over and over He says, God, take this messenger of Satan away from me. Just take him away. And God's like, nope, not yet. Still got some things to learn. Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, they always say things work in threes. <laughs> I hope they don't sometimes. I, but, but I've seen it in my life, you know. It seems like when one happens, something happens, it's like a couple more things happen. It's like, oh, Lord, no. But we pray and say, God, just take it away. Don't let it happen. I wish it would just go away. And God's like, not yet. There's something I'm going to do through it. There's something I'm going to teach you through it. There's something you really need to learn through it. And maybe it's something I have to learn to trust God through it. Maybe it's something that God's trying to teach me in an area of discipline or, or, or structure. I, I don't know. But God has His reasons. And He says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be, leave me. You know what God said? Nope. Not taking it away. Not taking it away. Well, what kind of a narcissistic God would just leave me to struggle in all this difficulty? A God that loves you? A God that has your best interests at heart? A God who wants to do in and through you what you can't do in and through yourself? That God wants you to experience some things, and we'll see why in just a minute. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. When you come to the place that you can't fix it yourself, when you come to the place that you're not strong enough to deal with it in your own strength, when you don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to handle it, you just need, when you come to the conclusion that you can't do this, you're beginning to be in the place that I want you. I don't know why things happen but I trust God to know that He is only going to do in my life what He wants to do in and through my life to make me more like Him. That's why He says in verse 10, Therefore, this this is not easy, therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it's God working in and through me. It's not my strength because I've already admitted I'm not strong enough. It's not my wisdom because I don't have the wisdom for this. It's not me. It's Him doing something through me to accomplish His will. Why wouldn't God just remove the thorn? Well, that might have been the easy thing and He was certainly capable of doing that. But then Paul wouldn't have learned the things that God wanted him to learn. 
possibly to, defend, to depend on Jesus to let God work in and through him. He says, I just want you to know, Paul, I know you don't like the thorn in the flesh. I know you don't want it. You've begged me three times to take it away. But I want you to understand, Paul, my grace is sufficient. That comes back to my trust. My faith in him. And then he says, for those that are called. The idea behind called here is really interesting. We can generically say, is there anybody that's saved? That, and that'd be true. But it's the idea of those who are invited to the banquet. They say, what in the world? What kind of a word picture is that? Those who are invited to the banquet are going to go through some tough stuff. Yeah, who's going to experience the banquet one day? God's children, God's family. One day. Which, once again, reminds us that everything in this life is temporary. The struggles we face in this life are temporary. If you're one that's invited to the banquet, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved, then you're the divinely selected and appointed ones to go through stuff. Yeah, that's what it means. To them that are called. You're one of the divinely appointed ones to go through the stuff that we go through. Because one day you're going to be sitting at the banquet table and you're going to realize that God wasn't wrong. That God only did in and through us those things that He wanted to do to make us more like Him. say, well, how do I know that? It was according to His purpose. To His purpose. It really doesn't matter whether I like what He chooses to do or not. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What He does in my life is for His purposes, not mine. If it was all about me, I'd just say, well, forget it, God. I know what I want. I'm going to go get a job. And I'm going to make $400,000 a year. I'm going to buy a nice house, a nice speedboat, a nice truck, and just live my life the way I want and what pleases me, right? Why not? It's not about my purposes. It's about His purposes. That's the hard part that sometimes we have to learn to accept. And some of us are thick scald. We just don't get it. But there's one thing to remember here. God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't need our permission to do it. But now look at verses 28, 9, and 30. You see the reason why. Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. You see, I, I remember when my dad passed away years ago. I came from a fairly large church growing up. Not not a mega church by any means, but a church that ran four or five hundred. And in a church of four or five hundred, when someone passes away, you're flooded with a bazillion cards. And I remember when my dad passed away, and I remember a very distinct thought that came to my head. If one more person gives me a card that says all things work together for good, I'm going to slap them. In my flesh, I did not want one more card that said that. I wanted my dad. I wanted the circumstances. I wanted, I, I wanted a different set of outcomes. And I thought to myself later in life that people do that because we often give verse 28 its own context. But that's only part of the context. You see, verse 29 and 30 are just as important as verse 28 in the context of the whole thing. 
And verse 29 tells us there's a reason behind the difficulties. The stuff that we go through that we would never choose. And it's this, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. When God gets done doing a work in and through us, when the trial is over, I can tell you, I know people who have gone through a divorce. The divorce was ugly, it was hateful, it was hard, it was hurtful. But then they look back and they say, this is what God did in and through it. He made me a better person. He showed me the areas of my life that were not where they needed to be. It's easy to point the finger at everyone else and what they're not doing. But, you know, I've re- I just told someone this yesterday. You know, in 28 years of ministry... I still can't figure out how to change somebody. You know why? I can't. I can't change not one of you. Not one of you do I have the ability, the power, and the the wisdom to change. I can't do that. You know who does that? God, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does that. Certainly frustrating trying to do it, though. I know you've never tried to do that with your kids either. Um, It's a realization that we don't like to think about. We don't change people. God does. The Holy Spirit does that. But God wants to conform us to the circumstances that He allows. Sickness, I I can't tell you how many times someone I've met has gone through a cancer, an illness, an ailment, some type of disability, some type of thing, uh, something that has just taken them down. And all of a sudden... Work doesn't really matter a whole lot. The house really doesn't matter a whole lot. Car, what you drive, doesn't really matter a whole lot. All of a sudden, what's really important begins to come into play. And all of a sudden, our focus begins to say, God, you're the only one that can fix this. And all of a sudden, my life has changed because of that sickness, that illness, that cancer. Some of you have gone through that. It rearranges the priorities of your life because of the hardship that God allowed. So not only does He use those things to conform us to to the image of His Son, but we also see that He uses it that He may be glorified. Because every one of us has a, say, either a problem or a project. It starts off with a problem or a project. But that problem or project can be turned into praise when we give it to Him. When God does a work in and through that problem, that project, on the other end, it's an opportunity to praise. You see, anybody that goes through cancer, they can't fix themselves. They can't. Well, I'm just going to start eating more broccoli and more greens and you know the cancer is just going to dissipate out of my life. I'm just going to eat healthy and it's going to go away. doesn't work. People try it, but it doesn't work. Because things happen that we can't control. Even though we try. But when we get through it and we see that God has allowed it to be healed, it's clear that God did it. And now I get to praise Him. And He is glorified because we gave all the glory to Him through it. I remember when Jen went through her cancer. That night I told her, I said, okay, here's your, here's your project. How are you going to glorify God through the brain cancer? She did it. But I put the question out there. It says, you can't control the brain, brain cancer. There's nothing you can do. It's now in God's hands. 
and his timing is impeccable. Amazing. Someday you just got to hear the whole story. I don't know if I've ever let her up here do that. You got to hear the story. But when God does it, all the glory goes to him. And that's what he wants. We see that in the verses. So let me just read it and recap. And we know that for those who love God, do you love God? Does your life back up the fact of what you say is true? Is it really there? I mean, your actions speak louder than words. And my life, it, it, it gives a picture, a reputation of I walk with God. I'm walking in obedience to Him. doesn't mean I'm perfect. That's not the issue. None of us are perfect. But my desire is I don't want to walk in obedience. I want to be holy and righteous before God. That's my desire. And my life, and my white life backs that up. To them, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not necessarily to my liking, not necessarily to my desires, not necessarily according to my expectations, but they work for good. For those who are called according to His purposes, not my own, because those who He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He glorified. Everything that this is talking about leads to a destination. It's heaven. This life, struggle. Next life, gone. If you know Jesus. In fact, he says nothing can enter into heaven that defiles. No sorrow, no sadness, no sickness. no. I mean, if it's bad, it ain't going to be there. Plain and simple. It's going to be perfect. And if we know Jesus, the struggles of this life are only temporary. So the question is this. We have an awesome God. Do you trust him enough with your life to let him have control of it? Because as long as you try to control it, manipulate the outcomes, you're not learning what God wants you to learn through it. God's in control of this. He'll take everything that you would never choose and work through it for His own glory. He's going to. I hope you trust Him for that. Maybe this morning, some of you just need to recommit your life to God and say, God, these are some circumstances I don't like. I'm giving them to you. And I trust that you're going to work through them. Increase my faith, God. Increase my trust. Because it's hard. It's hard. No one promised an easy path. God never promised an easy path. But as he said, it is a path that I'll be with you for. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. I ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would do in and through us, Lord, what we cannot do in and through ourselves. I ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would in every circumstance, Lord, show Yourself strong and allow us to learn the things that You're trying to teach us through them, Lord. I ask, God, that You would just increase our faith, increase our trust, Lord, on the daily circumstances of life. Because, Lord, things happen every day that we can't control. But, God, we know You can. So help us to love You enough to trust You. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just ask for a minute that... uh, As we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking about circumstances that are not great. Circumstances that you would never choose. Circumstances that have got you frustrated and down. Situations that 
are just discouraging, are you willing to give them to God and trust Him to work in and through them? Are you willing to give them to God? He's got the answers. He's got, he, knows, he's, he, he says He's working them according to His purposes. I may not understand them right now, but I'm going to trust Him with it. Say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my life right now. Yes, yes. Anyone else? Yes, up front and the side. Yes. God's got a purpose. God's got a reason. Maybe this morning you need to give those circumstances to God and say, God, I trust you with them. I love you, God. Nothing's going to, nothing's happening to me apart from your will. God, I'm going to trust you through it. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Can I challenge those of you who have lifted your hand, your heart, to take a moment and pray and say, God, I give this this circumstance to you. I give this situation to you. Lord God, help me to learn what I need to learn from it. Make me more like your son as a result of it. Increase my faith. Increase my trust, dear Father. Just pray. Give it to him. He knows all about it anyway. Doesn't mean we don't want to go through it. Paul asked three times to get rid of it. He says, Nope, but my grace is sufficient. Maybe this morning you need to pray for God's grace so that you can handle the circumstance with the right attitude, the right spirit. Just give it to God. Pray. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you know those things that distract us. Lord God, you know the things that we struggle with, the things that we wouldn't choose, the things that we wouldn't pick, the things that we don't like, the things that frustrate. Lord, we already learned last week that you're at the right hand of the Father, pleading our case with a sense of urgency, Lord, because you alone are the one that are able to, to, to handle it. But Lord, we realize today, Lord, it's for your glory that we might be more like your son that you allow these things. So Lord, help us to trust you. Be with each one, Lord, who raised their hand their heart for you this morning. Lord God, that you would just work in our hearts to accomplish your will. And we'll praise you for it. And once again, God, this week, God, starting now, would you increase our faith and trust in you, Lord, to know, Lord, that you make no mistakes. Your ways are perfect. Help us to trust you in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.